Hi guys, this is Doug, and you're listening to What's the Hazard. Before we get started with today's episode, I'd like to thank our sponsors, Fallowich Construction Services, Custom Concrete Specialists, WorkSafe Consulting, the Nebraska Department of Labor On-Site Consultation Group, and our latest sponsor, Make You Safe. Thank you one and all for your support. I sincerely appreciate it. Now let's get to today's episode. It is... Mother's Day weekend, and so I want to start by saying happy Mother's Day to my mom, Charlene, my mother-in-law, Yvonne, and my wife, Tanya, who is a fantastic mother to our sons. Um, So happy Mother's Day, everyone. Uh, Appreciate it, everything that you've done. It is Friday, May 12th, and uh, I've got two very special guests in in the studio today. I've been looking forward to this one for a long time. It's been uh, a long time coming. Mark Damon is here, and if you know safety, if you know fall protection at all, you know the name Mark Damon. Um, he is you. You are safety and health royalty, man, and uh, <laughs> I mean that in all sincerity. That's nice of you to say, and uh, I sincerely appreciate you coming up. and And what's your name again? <laughs> you know, Jeff Springer. We'll call you the Prince of safe, Fall Protection, if that's okay. I don't know if that's acceptable it. or not. Um, you are the owner, president of Damon Inc. Damon Fall Protection. Damon Inc. is good enough. Damon Inc. Yeah, man. Um, and uh, you are you are like a big shot with PMG. Oh, just a territory process. manager. Yeah, I've been there. That's a big shot. Pro- yeah. Process marketing I suppose, group. suppose, yeah. But uh, this fall protection thing, um, I can remember when you and I first met. We didn't really meet. I just heard you speak. I had the opportunity to come to a training that you were doing at one of the local conferences here 25 years ago, probably. Uh, I think uh, maybe Mark Bandon. Remember Bandon? Yep. <clears throat> He's a dear friend. Our of good mine. friend Bandon. Yep. Um, I think maybe he brought me to that training or something, perhaps, and heard you speak. And I was like, oh, shit, this guy knows some stuff. And so you've been doing it for, according to your website, like 40, 50 years. Is that even possible? <laughs> yeah, 1976. I got oh the fall protection. Incredible. But you'd come out of school with like a marketing MBA or something. Yeah. and. So, no, no safety background at all. Well, neither had I, okay. as I got into this as well. So we're going to spend the next hour talking about fall protection, fall prevention, the past, the future. of the, This is an, an incredibly interesting system. I don't know, complex system. Um, but it's been really fascinating. And so I'm looking forward to the opportunity just to talk a little bit about how this all started, how you got into this business and the and the evolution of this particular system. Well, how I got into this is <clears throat> pretty odd because I first my first job with Rose Manufacturing had nothing to do with fall protection. Clarence Rose also invented the first child restraint for an automobile. No shit. And it was just a harness, a five point harness, <clears throat> and this was before car seats came out. And he developed this product that uh, attached to a strap around the back floorboard. And it allowed the child to stand up. And so <laughs> in the seat, in the seat. <laughs> so awesome. I uh, had, a, I got my master's degree at, uh, in Kansas city, <clears throat> was hired by Marion laboratories, which was a big pharmaceutical company who had just bought Rose manufacturing company. They had no idea what they bought. They just knew they suddenly had a fall protection mm-hmm. company. He also had this one product for child auto safety restraint. They hired me to be the marketing manager for that product Right after I took the job, I found out that Consumer Reports had given this a not recommended. 
because they, this is when sled tests developed, which yes. brought me to my ANSI blog that you talked about. Is right. that, uh, guy named Colonel Stapp developed a sled test to generate G-forces for the jet pilots to see when they'd black out how many G-forces they'd get. Well, the automotive bit industry used that same sled to start crash testing automobiles and testing car seats. Wow. And <clears throat> child restraints. So the first time they ran the Rose Little Rider, it was called, <laughs> down the sled, <clears throat> hit forward, worked like a charm. Then when it came back against the back seat pad, the mannequin rolled up over the top of the seat and landed head first on the floor. And they d concluded that would kill a child. And <sighs> that was my only product. Fortunately, the sales manager for fall protection quit. <clears throat> the president knocked on my door in my office and said, hey, Damon, you want that job? I said, hell yes. I want that job. <laughs> oh, my God. Because <laughs> that was the end of the oh, little rider child. Yes, and I was now a fall protection guy. No kidding. That's that is amazing. I've never heard that story before. I don't think I've ever Either told Either have that. I, yeah. That is awesome. <laughs> so the that little was, rider. Yeah, little rider. Oh, man. <laughs> that was and so, but I mean. Those two, I mean, it's interesting that Rose was involved in both of those. That makes sense. He's a genius. Restraints. He, he was a genius, yeah, and he uh, was just committed to safety. He made the first ladder shoe for the ladder manufacturers because they were too cheap. That's my position. They mm -hmm. didn't really – I mean, that product, I'm against ladders totally. That's another thing I have a passion about doing. Thank you. Getting people to quit buying ladders. Thank you. Uh, he made the shoes to keep those extension ladders from sliding on the ground. He stamped the steel, put the pad on it, and then sold it to all the ladder manufacturers. And then, of course, they sourced it in China and bought the cheap stuff. <laughs> but mm -hmm. uh, that goes with the program with them. But Clarence Rose invented a lot of the products, full-body harness, first shock-absorbing lanyard, first mm -hmm. locking snap I read hook. that. I think that may have <clears throat> even been on your website. Yeah. That Just, was he was an unbelievable guy. So he, I got a passion from listening to him talk, and that's what – I've sold a lot of safety equipment in my lifetime, but fall protection is different than any other product. Uh, kills more people. Uh, more people die due to falls. And there's a 13%, 13% of the people that die in a fall have the equipment on. They just don't know what they're doing with it. Mm -hmm. And that's why my position now is I've done it for 40 odd years. Fall protection doesn't work. Mm. Because we're relying on the person to put it on and use it mm -hmm. properly. <clears throat> and that's, that's such an interesting. I, I I appreciate your candor. You are you're not at risk of being at this point in your career. Uh, you've earned the right, and you probably have always been this way. But to be honest and forthcoming, and I sincerely appreciate that. I, I am trying to be that guy now when I deal with my clients, because you know. My, my good friend Pete Suska calls that good day controls. It requires so much on the employee, the user, to do everything right. And, and then maybe we get a good outcome if we do have a fall. And we're going to have falls. There is no doubt we are going to have falls. Employees make mistakes. Things happen. So those things are going to occur. And only if we do all these things right is that going to work for us. Well, and I think – or sorry, Mark. Um, I started asking that question in my trainings like a year ago. I'm like, you know, who was driving to work today and you got this weird feeling in your bones? I'm going to fall today. Nobody ever gets that feel, you know, and they laugh mm -hmm. about it. And then I'm like, okay, let's just play it out. In the United States today, a million people fall all at the same time. What percentage of them will get hurt? <clears throat> now, keep in mind, you have the equipment on and you feel warm and fuzzy, right? You're connected to something. Mm -hmm. I thought people would say none or 5% or 10%. You know what everybody's saying? 
50, 70, 90. A guy last week said 100, and I'm like, well, that's probably a little high. And it goes back to training and inspections. And now it seems like using the right equipment, using the right equipment, and then the employee using it correctly, they have this false sense of security that I'm connected, I'm good. And that's farther, you know, furthest from the truth. Yes. <clears throat> that's interesting. Wow. And when I'm doing classes, I try to tell these safety people that, you know, you hired these people to be electricians. You hired them to be plumbers. You hired them to be manufacturing or uh, maintenance people. Did you tell them in advance that you're going to su potentially subject them to 1,800 pounds of force and, mm. and be suspended in a harness? And that's part of your job description? I bet not. Mm -hmm. That's just, oh, by the way, you have to wear this. Right. And, you know, <clears throat> going back to 1,800 pounds in the force, all based on killing dogs in 1953 by Clarence Rose. Is that where that came from? Yeah. I've wondered about that did too. A study at Ohio State where they dropped dogs. They had Clarence so, Rose as a Buckeye. No, he. I don't know. He wasn't a Buckeye, but okay. The, the, but I will say about the Buckeyes. <laughs> apparently, the only place where people are allowed to be tested for fall protection is in Ohio. So I guess they <laughs> they have no problem injuring their uh, uh, loyal citizens. Tossing the people off of the <laughs> yeah. So because Wright Patterson Air Force Base is where we did suspension studies. Ohio wow. State University where we dropped the dogs. So it just goes on and on. Wow. So I used to work for Wright Patterson Air Force. Is that right? <clears throat> well, that's and it went to Ohio State. Wow. So nobody well, <laughs> tossed me off of anything that I'm aware of. <laughs> well, they they selected you. They said you're not gonna you're not gonna work. You're too tall. Yeah. But at Ohio State, they did the testing for Clarence Rose, and then at Wright Patterson Air Force Base in '86 is where they did suspension test, and that's the pivotal thing that converted people from belts to harnesses. Oh man. We knew belts were dangerous <clears throat> in 1930. Uh, we knew they were more dangerous when we did the dog test in 1953. I wasn't there. I'm not that old. Understood. Uh, but they realized the impact forces applied to your torso. And so they're putting dogs in harnesses and yeah. tossing well, them. No, no, no. They did do dogs in, in body belts. belts. In belts. And so we proved belts were dangerous back then in right. 53. Everybody right. ignored that study. So one until 86 when they did suspension tests and actually had – Airman third class, which I understand they don't exist anymore after they did those suspensions, <laughs> but they hung, they hung guys in belts and the longest they'd stay suspended was up to two minutes. Before they just could, they, they tap said, out, they couldn't take They it tapped anymore. out. And then with a harness, it lasted 20 minutes mm -hmm. where it got uncomfortable. So, so that's a 10 time saving or time wow. increase you get with rescue. So it all pivoted, not on impact forces. Mm hmm but the fact the guy could be suspended for a longer period of time before he could be rescued. So then the logic was let's put him in harnesses, mm -hmm. which was a big thing. But I mean, the impact thing. forces had to be incredibly different too, belt to harness. Where it's applied. I mean, absolutely. Breaking your back. I just, I couldn't even imagine. And so, well, you don't break your back. If you think about the concept of a belt, it actually works pretty well. Cause if you put the D ring in the center of the back, you're going to bend in a normal position for the body. Okay. So there's not too much chance of spinal damage. It's just the compressive forces on your soft tissue organs. Mm -hmm. And it's all concentrated on a two inch wide belt mm -hmm. around your waist. And I always used to say mm -hmm. that <clears throat> a safety belt is a perfect definition of the word oxymoron. Safety belt. I get it. That's so interesting. So how about where did that uh, deceleration device come into effect? Clarence Rose. He was he invented the first shock that absorber. That ripstop shock absorber. Yeah. He recognized the fact, and that's a common, <clears throat> if you think about it, the only way you can reduce force is to increase 
the stopping distance. Mm -hmm. So in the old days, we gave everybody a six foot rope and I can still remember <laughs> a Miller equipment company. We had a shock absorber. Mm -hmm. So if we had it, then the competition said it wasn't any good. And there's an old safety guy for Miller equipment named Joe Nelms. <clears throat> we use full filament nylon rope, but we sold shock absorbers. And he said, oh, we don't need shock absorbers because we have spun nylon rope, little strands that stretch more, which was all a lie. Mm -hmm. But he'd go there and pull on rope and see that's our shock absorber. So <clears throat> Clarence Rose developed the first shock absorber that actually worked. Uh, and it was just a he was making seat belts for Caterpillar tractor had scrap seatbelt webbing, folded one in half one day and got <clears throat> a brainstorm to just stitch it mm -hmm. back and forth. So when you fall, you pull against the stitching, increases the stopping distance and reduces the force. Every shock absorber since then has been on the same concept, whether it's a self-retracting lifeline <clears throat> or a shock absorbing lanyard, they all increase the arrest distance to reduce the force. So what, what was the reason he did it? Just had it in his head to no, reduce he, the forces? and Oh, yeah, because he you know, he had the dogs killed. He didn't do it on purpose, yeah, but yeah. they dropped the dogs in 52. The, the report came out in 53 saying the maximum force you should apply to a worker should never exceed 2,000 pounds. They didn't mince words in the 50s. They called that the threshold of serious injury or death. So he then did drop testing with manila rope, <clears throat> which back in the 50s was a predominant lanyard material because it was initiated back in 32 when they were building the Golden Gate Bridge with Joseph Strauss. They used manila rope lanyards. People were still using them in the 50s. And then they had nylon and polyester because of DuPont's work in World War II to find replacements for rubber with neoprene and that led to all these synthetic ropes. But the forces were still above 2,000 pounds with a six-foot free fall which, by the way, the length of a six-foot lanyard is clearly and totally based on what Joseph Strauss wanted in 1932, and every fall protection company still sells six-foot lanyards because they've always done it that way. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, that's the way this industry works. We do things because that's what we did before. Mm -hmm. But he realized back in the 50s that all these lanyards would put more than 2,000 pounds of force on the worker. And keep in mind, back then, we're talking about the force going around their waist. Right. With so, the belt, he, yeah. so he felt a sense of urgency to come up with something. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> this was the first one that worked. Wow. That's remarkable. I can't believe you you know all this stuff, man. I assume you did. It's, it's getting old is what it's called. <laughs> well, good for you. That's good, too. But I'm still alive. Yeah, that is really amazing. So did you ever, did you ever pitch you off of a roof or anything? Oh, yeah. I, I've jumped. Jumped off towers. Jumped off. Oh. Probably one of my favorites I did. Back when I got in the business, nobody was wearing harnesses. Everyone was wearing belts and six-foot lanyards without shock absorbers and non-locking snap hooks. I mean, it was unbelievable when I got in this business. So we tried to pioneer the use of harnesses uh, by going out and doing drops. And so I went down to Florida Power. They were transitioning from <laughs> climbing utility poles to working out of bucket trucks. Well, they just took their lineman's belts with them and were using their lineman's belt <clears throat> in a bucket truck for mm -hmm. fall protection and using a polypropylene rope, which is terrible rope for fall protection because there's no elasticity. It's kind of mm -hmm. similar to a steel cable lanyard. Mm -hmm. So they're using a lineman's belt and polypropylene rope in a bucket truck. I went down there with my demo trailer, tied a lineman's belt around my steel weight 
and dropped at six feet and the belt exploded because Lyman's belts were never designed to be impact loaded. Mm -hmm. They were a restraint product or a mm -hmm. positioning product, so they never had to go through dynamic testing. So I blew their belt in half. Then I took their lanyard and dropped it six feet with my weight and the polypropylene, uh, polypropylene rope broke in half. Just snapped. It's just snapped. <laughs> oh and this was God. all their safety guys here, and they're looking at this stuff going, this doesn't look like it's working oh, too well. Did they, they look worried? or they? Were, <laughs> oh, yeah. No, they they were, like blew their mind like, oh, crap. That so they mean. were stunned. And oh, uh, so then they said, we want you to come back and do a demo. We're going to videotape this. So I came back, and we had <laughs> about a month later and uh shipped down a sand dummy because then what we we're going to do after the end of my class was pull this sand dummy out of their bucket truck so we hoisted that bucket truck <clears throat> or the sand dummy up in the bucket truck and then we pulled it out and the shock absorber opened up and i said boy i made a big sale here and i was kind of excited because the shock mm -hmm. absorber opened up and everybody's looking around nodding their head and then one guy says i don't think your shit really works and of course, I got defensive. I said, "What do you want me to jump out of the bucket truck?" And they all go, "Yeah!" <laughs> so I just said, "I just stepped into that, did I?" So <clears throat> I did. I jumped out of the bucket truck. But when I got up there, when you look up at a bucket truck, it doesn't seem that high. No. But when you're up there looking oh, down, yes. it seems a lot higher. Yeah. So I made them keep lowering the boom. They said, "You're going to hit the ground." And at that point, I said, "I don't really care." So <laughs> right. I jumped out of the bucket truck. And sure enough, my feet hit the ground, but the shock absorber already deployed, deployed so yeah. the force wasn't that much. And then I just tucked my legs up and acted like I didn't hit the ground, but mm -hmm. it's pretty visible. And, fact, and what fact, did it feel like? Jumping with shock, nothing. You don't feel a thing. Don't feel it? Don't it, feel that it. That deceleration is fairly smooth it's and so, mild. Oh, yeah, it's wonderful. And so what you feel, <laughs> what you feel as soon as you stop, it's very painful. The that, that suspension trauma. No, it's the that pressure on your thighs. A hundred percent of the force is on your thighs. So think about your body weight. Mm -hmm. You're hanging by yeah. your thighs. Yeah. So that's where it's uncomfortable. So any bruises? No. Nothing. <laughs> Just mental. Just right? mental. Just mental, yeah, yeah. mental bruises. As soon as I said, what do you want me to do? Jump out of that bucket truck. That <laughs> yeah. mentally bruised me because I said, you are a sucker. Yeah. So, yeah. But did you get the sale? Yeah, I did get the sale. They I'll switched everything did. to harnesses and lanyards. And plus, I felt good on that. And oh. that's one of the things that's rewarding about this business. You know, here we're in Omaha. I did work when I first started calling on Union Pacific Railroad. They were using belts and lanyards. And I remember the safety guy back then. His name was John Horney. Wonderful guy. And I did a demo and he said, OK, we're going to harnesses. And so they outfitted everybody in harnesses and shock absorbing lanyards. And I'm remember I was sitting home in Kansas City one Saturday and I get a phone call and it was John Horn. He said, Hey Mark, we just I'm just calling you to let you know you saved a guy's life today. And oh, I mean, shit. that moved me. I'll bet. That moved me. Wow. So you you talked about something else in that conversation, the snap hooks. Yes. The evolution of the whole system yes. is really interesting. Well and it, the, they used to just be like a what, like a just like a coat hanger hook or something well nice. we did we had one called that's that's <laughs> interesting you knew about that one we had a hook called the seven hook there's a company that makes forms i shouldn't name them because i'll get sued but they're okay. out of chicago but they made forms and they had this little slot and the workers would climb this form work and there was no place to tie off so what was it rose rose made a hook called the seven hook shaped like a seven mm -hmm. with no gate on it but it would fit in this little dinky slot mm -hmm. Uh, but then we had a couple failures because it was just really small diameter metal. 
So I'm on, I'm with the company for about six months and they said, Hey, we're going to have a recall. Damon, you have to go get all these hooks back. <laughs> so I remember there's a company called Martin EB out of uh, Wichita. They did a lot of form work. I said, Hey, I need to come down and see you. So I flew down to Wichita and I said, we need to get all our hooks back. The guy said, no problem. What do you have to replace it? I said, uh, nothing. <laughs> he said, see ya. Uh -huh. <laughs> you come up That's with not going to work for us. <laughs> so I went back to Rose and said, hey, they won't give them back. But the problem was the size of the form slot was too small. And I called this company. I said, hey, we'd like to work with you to make your slot bigger. Because uh, we have a problem here. He goes, mm -hmm. we don't have a problem. You do. <laughs> right, right. And to this day, it's the same slot size. Is that right? Yep. But we finally figured out, uh, I think DBI did it first. They just took a regular snap hook and hammered out the nose to flatten it out. Okay. So it would fit inside mm. that slot. And now some of these bigger hooks, these 18 rebars will fit through that. Okay. And so what led to the, like the two motion? The double locking snap. All the hooks, If and in fact, I've got a video on the Golden Gate Bridge. They were called single lock snap hooks, but there was no lock on the single lock snap hook. It was just a forged steel body, stamped steel gate, a spring and a rivet, and that's all there was to a hook. So you'd push the gate open and open, and then mm -hmm. it would close. But if you push it against something accidentally, you'd come right out. Almost like the keeper on a crane hook almost. Like little... Exactly like that. Okay. And so it would fail. I mean, and we had rollout. People would, you know, if you're up there working and moving around, the, thing, the gate would push against something, release. Snap hook would be released from your anchor point, and the worker wouldn't even know it. Not even attached. <clears throat> Not even attached, and he'd fall to his death. Wow. So Clarence Rose invented the first locking snap hook. He drilled a hole in the spine of the forging in the back, put a little thumb lock back there with a spring, and you'd push that up, and then the gate would open up. Mm -hmm. But if the, gate, if the thumb lock was down, it wouldn't open. Of course, it wasn't required. All right. So none of this stuff was required. He's inventing all this stuff. Shock absorbing lanyards, locking snap hooks, invented the first shock absorber in 57, not required until 96. Invented the first locking snap hook in 76, not required till 96. I mean, it was ridiculous. Mm -hmm. So people get locking snap hooks. They weren't required. First thing the work would do is get a screwdriver and pop off the locking mechanism back because it was a little bit more difficult. A little to operate. bit more. Yeah. So until we had people like John Horney that said, I don't care if it's not required, we're doing it until people started embracing the fact you have to protect your workers. Nobody bought the stuff. Yeah. And when was that? That was in the nineties, seventies, seventies, seventies and eighties where, where Rose came up with these things. No, these he solutions. came up with them in the fifties. In the fifties. <clears throat> when John started saying, we're going to do, Oh, that practice. was, uh, that was the eighties, probably okay. 81. No, maybe 79, 80. I don't remember much earlier than I, I don't even remember how old I am. Yeah, but man, <laughs> you're asking me when John Horney made the decision. No, sorry. Yeah, I don't remember that. But Rose truly was a genius. He was a genius. Like. He was a pioneer committed to safety. Wow. And then that's the thing about fall protection. It gets in your blood. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, you realize <clears throat> we're still relying on the same equipment. Basically, we changed the belt to a harness, right. a lanyard to a shock-absorbing lanyard, then the shock-absorbing lanyard to a self-retracting lifeline, but we're still doing it basically the same old way. Well, because ultimately, all of this depends on the user. That's right. And that's so, why fall protection doesn't work. Yeah. 13% uh, of the people that fall to their death have their harness on and they're tied off. I've investigated some of those. Okay. And so, and they're tied off. No, I was, no, I jumped to, I, I jumped yeah, you to jumped. Early. Yeah. And they're tied off. The most of them that fall to their death have the harness on and they're not tied off. Yes. That and, I've seen. And it, all the And time. so, was it, they're miscalculating that fall distance then? Yes. 
Yep. Okay. You give them a six foot lanyard <clears throat> and they think they have a six foot lanyard, they're going to fall six, six feet. Six feet, of course. They're going to go 18, 19 feet. Well, yeah. you see it all. I mean, driving around Omaha right now, we could get in your truck and see. I've seen where you picked me up today. There was They were putting up an apartment complex there, a guy standing on a form six foot off the ground with a six foot lanyard. And I'm like, why? Uh, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, I didn't get out of my truck at the time and say, hey, man, let's do some math here. But that false sense of security, wearing the wrong equipment, now it's kind of evolved into many not using lanyards because they get that after all the drop tests we've done for decades. But now they're using the the wrong self-retracting lifeline for the application they're doing. Yes. <clears throat> yeah. exactly and it right. is so um, specific. I mean, the equipment specific, specificity mm-hmm. has to be right for the application. If you're using the wrong shit, it doesn't work. Or like, you you know, the anchoring, where you anchor these guys, like the iron workers, you know, anchoring at their feet and then thinking that's going to. Which leads me to one of the things that's <clears throat> upsetting me is the new ANSI standard. Mm-hmm. Which you didn't ask, but I'll tell. No, you're uh, right. I, I just, I'm interested. <laughs> uh, so they require this new uh, class two, I think we're calling it. Is that it? Yeah. The new buzzword. That's the other thing I like about ANSI. They come up with new terminology and seven years later, change all the terminology. <laughs> so we're all confused. To self-perpetuate their interest and their yeah. demand and their people's reliance on ANSI because what's the new buzzword? Oh, let's read the ANSI standard. Mm-hmm. They didn't make anything better. They just changed all the names. <clears throat> but I got to pay 300 bucks for a new ANSI there standard. You do. Oh, that's just one chapter. Okay. Now, I'm being facetious. It might only be 199 <laughs> oh, Right, I, I, right. Maybe overstating how much that costs, but it's well worth it. I mean, really, it's good reading, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> but if you look at the clearance guides on a class two, I believe they're now up to 20 0.5 feet of clearance. Now you talk about an iron worker tying off at his feet on the I-beam. Well, what's the normal distance between floors of a new building? It could be 10 or 12 feet, right? Yeah. Something like that. And they need 20 feet. Mm-hmm. What's so wrong with that picture? That ain't happening. No. But people wow. are still using it right now. Mm-hmm. People are using the equipment and they don't have the clearance and everybody knows it. Mm-hmm. But at least they're tied off. They yeah. meet the standard. Right. Yeah, they meet the standard, which yeah. is all they really care about, I think, to some degree, or yeah. at least for the most part, well, and and which is important. You know, I mean, don't yeah, I'm not belittling meeting standards. You have to you, you have to be in compliance yeah. to some degree, whether that <clears throat> provides the level of safety that you believe it would. I think most people would just assume if I'm in compliance, then I'm safe, and those those two things aren't necessarily the same. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. And 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 to OSHA's defense, and you mentioned Mark Bandon, just a dear friend of mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, OSHA can only deal with the tools they're given by right. the manufacturers, right. right? So they can write these standards. And that's one thing I, I kind of regret about when they rewrote the tw- uh, the walking, working surfaces standard mm-hmm. is OSHA's primary emphasis was passive fall protection. And they've gotten away from that uh, to now allow all this fall protection mm-hmm. equipment. When, you're, when you say passive fall protection, explain what you mean by Passive that. fall protection is the best fall protection they can provide. Guardrails and things like that. Guardrails. And I and I actually, I'm kind of an oddball. I consider safety nets passive. Mm-hmm. And I consider them passive because the worker doesn't need to do anything to make mm-hmm. it work. Right, right. As yeah. long as they're installed properly, it's not dependent upon the worker. That's exactly right. And we have to take the dependence, I believe, the dependence of our fall protection equipment away from the ultimate user and that's the responsibility of the company to have passive fall protection 
Okay, so I've got 40 years of stats I can show them where fall protection, we've increased, we've gone from a belt to a harness, a lanyard to a shock absorbing lanyard, a shock absorbing lanyard to a self-retracting lifeline. We're still killing people at the same rate. Mm -hmm. It's not the product that's not working. It's the fact that people don't use it properly and don't tie off at all. Mm -hmm. So this is interesting that you say this because we mentioned when we were just sitting on the lobby talking to these guys, I've been reading about these, this kind of this new safety, safety differently thing. And that is one of the cornerstones of this whole philosophy is we have to build capacity into these systems to fail safely. And that cannot be dependent upon the employees making good choices necessarily. Now you could combine that, you know, I, I'm envisioning maybe a scissor lift that has guardrail system around it, but also maybe an anchorage. So, because inevitably that employee is going to not be able to reach something, they're going to get up on the mid rail and they're going to potentially fall. So if you double these systems up, then you're certainly getting a higher level of protection. Yes. Speaking of scissor lifts, (laughs) (laughs) they, they put guardrails in there and they have a mid rail. Mm -hmm. What does every employee do with the mid rail of a scissor lift? I stand on it. Stand yeah. on it. <laughs> it gives me a little more reach. OSHA allows you to modify your guardrails. They don't have to have a top rail and a mid rail. They have to have a top rail, but you can, instead of having a mid rail, you can have vertical members. Yes. Why not do that? How, do you, how do you climb on a vertical member? Exactly. Just common sense. We don't do it, which reminds me of a podcast <laughs> I just heard, Elon Musk. He's, oh, now, yeah. he's now in my training. Now, why? what does Elon Musk have to do with fall protection? Absolutely nothing. He's, he's too smart to get involved in our <laughs> industry, right? But he made a comment about engineers. To all you engineers out there, I apologize. And I love engineers. We can't do yeah. fall protection without them. Yeah. But he made a comment about <laughs> engineers. He says, engineers will work on the same thing over and over again improving it without ever asking is this thing really work yes all right i saw that all right and that's what i think about fall protection mm. we're using belts and harnesses and lanyards and harnesses if you look back over the last 50 years it hasn't worked but we've we've made an incredible progress technologically yes but Make we haven't up. addressed the real issue that's right Oh, so there's no question the self-retracting lifeline is better than a shock-absorbing mm-hmm. lanyard. There's no question a harness is better than a belt. But the whole concept still revolves around relying on that worker to tie off to something, and we're still exposing them to a free fall, and we're still exposing them to impact forces. Mm-hmm. Which, if you think about it, if you give an employee a respirator, what do you have to do before he can wear that respirator? Well, you got a medical evaluation and fit test requirement. Yes, a medical evaluation. What do you have to do before you give him a harness and a lanyard? You put a mirror underneath his nose and see if it follows up. Yeah, yeah. All right. And you give him the harness. Yeah. You have no idea if he's got uh, clogged arteries. Some internal internal problems. And who, 1,800 pounds of force. That came from the dog study in 1953. Mm Mm-hmm. Who knows that if that's safe? But we're potentially going to blast this guy on the end of a lanyard. Yes. With that 1,800 pounds of force or more, depending on how long he free falls, because they don't always. Because that's the way we've always done it. Mm -hmm. Makes it okay. Wow, man. Because that that goes back to the fact. I mean, either employers or employees, they don't think they're going to fall. That's right. And, And that's what I've been saying in a lot of trainings lately. Like, you guys have to. The equipment that you're wearing, is it the right free application? Well, the, my employer gave it to me. That doesn't matter. They're doing their best, and, and hopefully they're giving mm-hmm. you the right equipment. 
you've got to challenge that. You've got to look in the manual. You've got to ask questions to make sure. Because at the end of the day, it's you walking away. I'd, we'd all feel terrible anytime somebody gets hurt. You told us this story this morning yeah. about a fatality, or I guess that was you, Doug. Mm -hmm. That's terrible, and we'd yeah. feel, feel terrible, but for how long? Mm -hmm. A day or two until we hear about something else that happened in the world? Mm -hmm. So employees challenging the fact of the, the equipment that they're wearing, is it the right equipment for them? And then rescue plan, how are you going to rescue me? If and when I did take a fall, just which is why I'm a big fan of passive because so you don't need a rescue. That's plan. exactly right. Mm -hmm. Yep. This is really interesting to me because doing a lot of training, as you both do, we do a lot of training. And but I see employees, uh, respirators are an example, fall protection, ex example, I protect you name it, anything that a PPE type of application doesn't get a lot of respect, they don't treat it particularly well. I see it laying on the floor. I see it laying on the workbench, collecting dust and shit, getting greasy and stuff. And this is a piece of equipment that is potentially going to save your life. And we treat it like, like an old pair of gloves or something. Actually, I take better care of an old right. pair of leather gloves. Those fingers hurt. Yeah, right? man. But, you know, it just it blows my mind. And I look at them and I think, this isn't a rental car. Right. I mean, we used to all get a big kick out of <laughs> abusing the rental car when we were young and had the ability to rent a car. You know, I never did that. No, no, none of us. <laughs> well, I, I, maybe I just wasn't a participant. But, but you're, you know, they just we don't have a lot of respect for this equipment. We don't mm. care for it to the extent that we should, perhaps. Maybe that is an attitude that's acquired from the employer, perhaps. Maybe that's something that's just part of the company culture. But if it's going to save your life, potentially, I would invest some time and effort into it. I think it goes back to the fact I'm not going to fall. So why do I need to take care of it? Maybe so. Maybe. Yeah. Take care of it maybe. as if it's going to save your life someday because it could save your life it could. someday. Yeah. That's and a, that's a good point. That's well, a good point. Yeah. And well, your point about it, you see it being in bad condition and not taken care of. That reflects what you're saying that they don't think it's ever going to be play. necessary. So, that's a great. Because I'm not going to fall. Yeah. But somebody's doing it. Yeah. Somebody's falling every year. Uh, absolutely. And I've been doing these classes for years and I always focused on fatalities. Then I saw a graph just a year ago and I added this into my training. It's a number of <clears throat> injuries. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's in like 50,000 a year. Yeah. And these injuries are like serious people. injuries. Serious injuries. I mean, potentially life-changing injuries. They're all from falls. Yeah. 50,000 wow. injuries a year. Mm -hmm. average. That's average. But I mean, the graph's staggering. And you look at falls, it's a 500 a year. That's 10 times. I mean, just think of how many people are affected by this. Yeah. I did a class in Kansas City uh, right be uh, at, toward the end of the year in January. I can't remember. I'm too old. But I'm doing a class <laughs> for the sheet metal workers down in Kansas City. Guy's late for my class. He's coming in in a wheelchair. And I didn't say anything. You know, he came in late. I was going to scold him for being late. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm only teasing. But <clears throat> I went up to him. And uh, I said, what happened? He said, I fell off a ladder. And then he showed me the video. They had some security video of it or something? Or... Yeah. And uh, I asked him if I could use it in my class. And he said, yes. He said, it'll keep somebody else from falling off a ladder. And it's, it's troubling to watch. Uh, climbed up to the very top, and then the ladder just slid down. Extension ladder? Just... Yep, extension ladder. Mm -hmm. And I... It's, it takes your breath away. Yeah, I mean, bet, you, you talk about how we get immune to this, but I don't think we really do. I don't. I, I, mm -hmm. it, that's why I'm still in the business. Mm -hmm. I mean. It still affects me, too. Yeah. It, it, I mean, you have to t kind of develop a 
thick skin on the exterior. Yes. But on the inside, you're still sick. It hurts. It does. And that's why, you know, we've got to get rid of ladders and we've got to move to passive fall protection. And we got to do the first thing on the hierarchy of fall protection that nobody does, mm-hmm. which is eliminate, eliminate. the hazard. Mm-hmm. Uh, Agreed. And we just spent weeks talking about this with some clients, the fact that this hierarchy of control and the fact that we are so quick just to jump right to PPE PPE. of some sort. It's just easy. It's common. It seems like it's appropriate because we don't give a lot of thought or put a lot of energy into elimination of the hazards. That's right. And it's it's costly sometimes. It's costly. And I think part of the problem is in the industry, fall protection is kind of an opaque type subject. So let's just get a fall protection guy to fix Mm -hmm. it. Well, you bring a fall protection guy in, he's going to fix it with PPE mm-hmm. because that's how they're trained to fix the problem. And I'm just saying that's not the right fix. Mm-hmm. And you take the leading causes of death. Number one is falls off of ladders. Get rid of them. Falls off of flat roofs is number four. Now think about that. The fourth leading cause of death is falling off a flat roof. How in the hell do you fall off a flat roof? Parapet walls, mandatory. Or guardrails, mandatory. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a Deuteronomy in the Old Testament of the mm-hmm. Bible talks about if you have your neighbor helping you on your roof, make sure you have a parapet wall to protect them. <laughs> now, that was written 3,000 years ago. <laughs> How far have we come along with that parapet wall? Not well at all. Not very Well, they're not very attractive. Yeah, that's – don't get me started well, on it, that. It, you it, put guardrails around and it, it ruins the swing or whatever, man. It goes back to the fact that I'm not going to fall. I've been on – hundreds of roofs over the years every time i go up with a maintenance guy or a safety guy first thing they do is go right towards the edge and i'm like get away this can't happen well, it's like right a magnet now. it's a, it like is. a magnet to it's human nature it, i'm not going to fall it's mm-hmm. and just let's blows see, my mind. let's see what's on the ground it's i just, gotta like, go and gotta look at my look. car man and i'm all they're all like oh you're just being worried and i'm walking like a penguin because it's slick whatever and Human nature is, I got to go look over the edge. I can remember pulling into a grain facility one time to do an inspection and looking up, and there was some kid sitting on a concrete elevator with his feet hanging off the edge, eating his lunch. I saw (laughs) the same thing. I just like, we got a little work to do here, you know? To do an audit on a roof, and it was twice. I said, hey, when I pulled up, one of your employees was dangling his feet over the side. Wow, you know, fix that. We go up there. Now there's a subcontractor on another parapet. We all eat lunch, and he screamed at him. I don't know if it did any good, but scared him and he fell off the bed. That was always my fear. Yeah, yeah. I'd holler at him and they'd fall. Yeah, and hey, I'd you really feel bad. But you're right. I mean, this is absolutely right that in, until that solution is commonplace, though, until we require parapets or we require guardrails. We're going to still have these problems. That's right. It's not going to go away. <clears throat> and and it didn't need to be an OSHA requirement. This could have been a building code Absolutely. requirement. <clears throat> it could have been done 80 years ago, 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. It, you know, and I remember giving a talk to architects. I did a class, and there's a bunch of architects. And I said, we need parapet walls on the roof. And one of them said, where's the rain going to go? Like, that's his defense. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. I'm not the architect, buddy. You yeah. are. You can't figure out how to divert the rain you somewhere. Run. You can you can run water off there. And, and it's like residential roofing. <clears throat> You've all seen it. Nobody uses fall protection. Their fall protection is that little foam pad. Mm-hmm. The best fall protection solution would be to net around that house. And it could be a two-stage thing. And this is my new campaign. Now. Okay. 
that the big companies, the JE Duns and the Kiwits mm-hmm. and all these big contractors, they could go set the net up in six hours mm-hmm. and then let these individual companies that do roofing go up on that roof with absolutely no fall protection because mm-hmm. they don't need it. Because if they slide down that roof now, if they're falling into a safety, it's going to catch net, them. It's going to catch them. Yeah. But as long as we let these little mom and pop people take control of the whole thing, it's never going to happen. So does that then, does that, is that driven by then the home builder? Is it's, that the requirement? It'd be driven, really, what should happen, it should be driven by the insurance company. The insurance company never should have been allowed to just cut the check to the homeowner. Gotcha. The insurance company should be responsible for the replacement of that roof. Now they've got liability. All right? And then if they had liability, if somebody fell off the roof, I think we'd see a change in how roofs are done. Oh, that's very interesting. I love that. All right. I, I was going to ask you about the future of this whole concept, this, these ideas. I, I, that's an interesting one. Yeah, that's one. I mean, so parapet walls on a roof. Mm-hmm. Uh, guardrails. Guardrails. Permanent. And roof access, eliminate the ladders, and do stairs. Are, are you, the exterior access? Yes. Okay. And scaffolding. Third leading cause of death is falls off scaffolding. Most of the falls occur when they're climbing the outside of the scaffold because OSHA was kind of forced into allowing them to free climb for the first 24 feet because the argument was climbing a scaffold is no different than a fixed ladder and your trigger level is 24 feet mm-hmm. on a fixed ladder. So we can climb rebar or scaffolding 24 feet. Get rid of that stupid rule mm-hmm. and require them to have stairs on every scaffold that has to go more than one elevation. Stairs going up to the sides of roof. Yeah, those stair towers on 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 uh, system scaffold are really nice. Yes, they are. Carry all the stuff up you want, no problem. Yes, genius, Damon. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) and it's so simple. And just like I never thought of that scissor lift thing, the vertical. I might. Yeah. Just thinking outside the box. So yeah. When do you have time to think? Driving in cars, yeah. driving, except, no, except right. now I'm listening to podcasts. Now you're listening to podcasts. So now think, you're on podcasts. My man. thinking switches. That's right. I'm on the podcast. Yeah. Now I don't think anymore. You don't have to think at all. No, I just talk. Oh, those are really interesting, man. So how do we do this? I, I mean, I'm up there pushing for elimination, you know, for the the controls that don't require employee involvement. But this is a big hill to climb, and we, you know, I know, and I don't, and that's this is one of my goals. That's like I'm. I'm going to be in the end of the career either because I can't do it or people are going to say, Hey, we don't want you anymore. So, but parapet walls. And then I found out one of the biggest obstacles of parapet walls are firefighters. They don't like them. They don't like them. Makes it more difficult for them to get on the roof. Uh, And I'm thinking, let's count how many firefighters fall to their death versus how many construction guys fall to their death. I think you got to look at which one has got the greatest risk. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, but we can, you know, we can come up with some modification for the firefighters to get up there. But that's when I first approached this, I I had a company say, you're never going to get that pass because firefighters don't like parapet walls. Mm. Uh, I never even thought of that. All right. So that was an issue, Mm -hmm. but the scissor lifts, uh, vertical rails, simple fix, still have something in there for restraint, but you probably won't need the restraint anymore because they can't climb up Mm -hmm. on that mid rail or the top rail. And And if they can't get on the mid rail, they can't get to the top rail. It's like the ladders with the platforms. They eliminated, they had your top cap. They eliminated that first one down. Mm-hmm. Who's going to make that, you know, that, skip one? You, the there's jump, no way anybody. 24 inch tw- jump. Unless yeah. you're a 20 year old, mm-hmm. like walking, working surface. <clears throat> mm-hmm. That was, what was that uh, put into effect? January 17th, 2017. Yes, sir. How, how many roofs have either fall arrest equipment or parapet walls that are tall enough or guardrails? Few. 
less than five percent. I mean, that's just kind of, and that's an OSHA regulation that still blows my mind Mm -hmm. that people haven't done more. Yeah, hats off to those that have, and it's we're seeing more and more become compliant, and it's all about that maintenance guy that gets up there that is either distracted by what he's got to do up there, he's distracted with his personal life and his phone. Or he doesn't think he's going to fall. Yeah, there's a lot of things. So putting up that. something passive that he doesn't have to do anything. They shouldn't have to worry about falling off the edge of the roof. Yeah. Absolutely. That parapet wall was there. There's mm-hmm. no worry. And that, speaking of uh, guardrails, because we were, I think this is important. I went to a international fall protection symposium. You probably heard of it. They do it every year after the safety Congress. It's usually a big mm-hmm. waste of time. It's people like me talking to <laughs> Jeff. We're having a competition who knows more. So it's, mm-hmm. it's just a waste of time. Uh. And we don't listen to each other. We just talk past each other. But <laughs> one guy gave a presentation on guardrail height about five or six years ago. About that 42 inch number. Yeah. At the original guardrail height, this little trivia Anybody know what it, the original one was pre-OSHA? It was 36 inches. 36. It was a building code standard. OSHA came along in 70 and said, well, 36 isn't high enough, and they raised it to 42. Mm-hmm. Well, this guy did a study and said 42 inches is great if you're 6'4 or shorter. If you're taller than 6'4, your center of gravity is above the top mm-hmm. rail, and if you lean back against the top rail, you're, you're going, going over the top. Yep. He said they should be 48 inches. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I'm urging. And I'm talking to these people that make these portable guardrails. I'm not aware of any one of them yet that offers it as a 48-inch guardrail. They're all still at 42. Mm -hmm. I got to be honest with you, man. Heights scare the crap out of me. Me too. And 42-inch guardrails do not give me any comfort. No. And I'm only 6'2", but I lean up Mm. against it, and I feel like I'm going over. Exactly. I do not like 42. And uh, 48 it doesn't hurt to go higher. It's right? even it doesn't hurt to go higher. Yep. And and even on stairs, like stair platforms, I go to the grain elevators all the time, ethanol plants. They got these twelve story stair towers, and the handrail is thirty inches. Hell no. Yes, that doesn't stop me from. And I if, can't even walk up them. Or one of my favorites, if you go to a place run by Emshaw, they don't really have any guardrail height per se. So. I've gone into those plants where there's still the old 36. Now, mm-hmm. if you want to get scared, walk on a platform where you've got a guardrail that's only 36 inches high, and it meets all the standards. Yeah, it freaks you out. Yeah. I don't love that at all. So you're afraid of heights? Yeah. Are you? Well, look, after you jump enough times, <laughs> right. you should be afraid of heights. I, I'm terrified I respect, of heights. I respect heights. Yes, and I know... We, we were down at the zoo, and you were going to climb up that big that ladder that went all the, the dome, way to the top yeah, of the, the dome. dome. And I was like, oh, hell no. I'm not afraid of heights. I'm afraid of falling. Yes. But it'll never happen to you, right? Respect. Oh, no, no, no. (laughs) I'm the one pulling people back from the edge. So in the meantime, while we are working on these corrections that I agree with you wholeheartedly, and thank you for having the courage to say all that, it seems a little bit um, odd that it comes from a fall protection guy. But you know the reality of this. You know the truth about the statistics. Yes. We're just observing the statistics and, and making evaluations based on that. What do we do in the meantime to improve not only compliance with use? Is there a way? I mean, dealing with this human behavioral aspect, is there a way to improve compliance? Is there a way to make that fall distance calculation easier? I mean, what do we do? What can we offer? I I think until we do the right thing, we need to have competent people in fall protection 
and they have to have complete control over the equipment that's being used. Okay. And I think the authorized user, which is a term used for the guys wearing the stuff, mm -hmm. they should know nothing more than how to inspect their harness and how to inspect their lanyard, period. You know, it's all they need to know. That's all they need to know. And the competent Clearance person makes all the other decisions. Absolutely right. That's all done for them. Yes. So, you know, if you, and if you look at the OSHA standard, there's a list of about eight different things that you're supposed to train on the authorized user, free fall distance, mm -hmm. total fall distance. Both numbers are stupid. Mm -hmm. The real number you need to be concerned with is clearance. And they don't even require you to teach clearance, just free fall distance and total fall. So there's just so much misinformation mm -hmm. out there. And then there's too many experts in fall protection out there. But you need to have a competent people be responsible for the whole program. <clears throat> they issue the harness. They issue the lanyard. They show them where the anchor point is and don't let them make any decisions. Now your only thing is the authorized user has to know how to inspect it. And he knows that if he doesn't wear it, he gets fired, mm -hmm. which is a, another problem we're having now. Nobody wants to fire anybody. Yeah. For obvious reasons. Right. And so it's it's going to get worse, not better. So there's absolutely no consequence to not following rules because nobody has the stones to fire somebody. That's exactly point. right. It's few and far between, but I my first stand down last week, I won't name the company. They know who they are. Um but they were, you know, hats off to everybody for all this stuff. They have a great culture, and I've seen that grow over the years. And then they said, after we pat you on the back, this is what happened last week and why. And it wasn't – one was a fall. It was something that they didn't do, and they said, we care about you so much that we're going we're gonna to let you go. Mm -hmm. And then like the other one, some people got in a fight on the job site and – they had to deal with that, but they, I, it, it's, it's easier said than done because you, you have good employees or mm -hmm. you have just employees. Mm -hmm. You can't let them go. It's hard enough to get somebody to come to work. Well, and, I, and the rest of that equation, I apologize for interrupting no. you. The rest of that equation is we know employees are going to make mistakes. Good employees make mistakes. Bad employees make mistakes and to cut them loose because they made a mistake, even though that's our policy, is unfortunate. That's powerful, though. I heard a Kiwit guy say that years ago. The guy worked there 30 plus years and they, you know, tapped him on the shoulder because he was doing something wrong with one of their cardinal sins. Fall protection happened to be one of them. And I don't know, lockout, tag out, or what, what some of their other ones were, but <clears throat> they said, We care about you so much that you no longer have a, no warning. I mean, yeah. if that doesn't send shockwaves through your organization, I, I don't know what would. I'm sure it does, but what is the response to that from the average employee? They fire the big boss. So now I got to, like, I got to try, I got to be, you know, be more careful or be more safe. It's like screaming at somebody, you know, don't fall. Yeah. You know, and I, I mean, could, and I, I, couldn't I, do it. I agree that you have to have a discipline program to some degree in subordination or lying or some of those things. You can't have that, but I think context drives behavior and people make mistakes because of the the context we put them in sometimes the pressure we put them under the pace that we set for them so I, it's complex there's a lot to it that's why no doubt. <clears throat> the only solution is passive, passive because ultimately i i couldn't fire somebody i mean I, I, and you know you say you got to fire them to set an example but at the same time if he just forgets or slips his mind it's going to happen. Yeah. And then you fire him. It's going to happen again. You got to just get rid of the damn. If you problem. got the guy that says, fuck you, I'm not wearing it. 
Well, then you then it's obvious. I'm sorry, we're parting company because yes. this this is a condition of employment. Right, yes. right. But the guy that makes a mistake and gets fired for it, it, it pains me. Yep. I get it. OSHA has forced people into that position too. I mean, OSHA expects you to discipline people right. in this progressive disciplinary fashion that exactly. we've been preaching for years. And yep. okay, I get it, but I'm not sure that's the solution either. I, Scaring I people into compliance yeah, or something. I don't think it works, but uh, you've got to do something. You've got to do something. And particularly if it's somebody that's, you know, just defying you. I think that's where you can draw the line. If mm -hmm. the guy defies you and doesn't do it and just doesn't, and he's not going to do it mm -hmm. and he's calling your bluff, you got to do it. Right. Uh, but the, I would the, agree with the that. good employee that, you know, makes a mistake, makes a mistake and he's working hard and doing something. And you, Oh, I didn't do that. That's why you got to take the risk away. It's really like tough. I said, you, when you hire these people, you didn't tell them in advance. Oh, by the way, you're going to be wearing a full body harness and be subjected to 1800 pounds of force. And hopefully you won't hang more than 20 minutes and we'll get you. Down. You'll be okay. <laughs> right. that, as that, long as we're not at lunch. That's right. That conversation <laughs> never happened. So that's why we got right. to get rid of the risks. And I know it's tough. And, but at the same time, you know, you watch these guys fall off of ladders and they're crippled the rest of their life. Mm -hmm. I mean, and that costs the company hundreds of thousand dollars, if not millions of dollars, because mm -hmm. you keep paying until they die. Yeah. You know, and that should be the incentive. Yes. Not the fact you want to fire the guy or make him wear a harness. Yeah. You got to get rid of the hazards. Yeah, totally agree. Fascinating. I, I am really on board with this stuff. I appreciate your saying that. It takes a lot of courage to have that level of candor. Uh, thank you for that. It's really good. So <laughs> I've no, been accused of having too much candor. <laughs> I am I am totally on board, man. So if people want to get a hold of you, if they want to learn more, hear more, if they want to uh, you know, retain your services, how do they get a hold of you? Just my website is probably the easiest, Damon Fall Protection. That's Damon easy. Fall Protection. That is easy. D-A-M-O-N. Yep. I love it. How do they get a hold of you, Jeff? They can get a hold of you through me because I refer you to all my clients. You yeah, know, absolutely. Otherwise, our, our website uh, – pmg-safety.com okay yeah. pretty easy yeah and if they know how to get a hold of me they can get a hold of you we've been working together for a long time it's awesome this has been fascinating i hope you guys will come back there's more to tell so that's a long drive it is a long drive <laughs> but i am going to pay for broncos whoa now. okay and uh, i haven't broncos. had one in 20 years all you can eat yeah. all you can eat at broncos okay. fortunately hopefully that's not too much but that is the compensation i don't know if i mentioned that before you grow <laughs> oh you do at the end yeah that's classic i always tell everyone at the end uh, obviously this is voluntary but i'm happy to buy lunch so well, Jeff said that check wouldn't clear anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, there is 50-50. It just depends on what, if I've been paid. So my guys, I know I use a lot of subcontractors, and they're all like, hey, man, any uh, any word on that job I did for you six months ago? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll have to check and see if I've gotten payment for that. It's, it's not usually that bad, but Kenneth might argue with me on that one. So. Mm, we're at the bottom of the food chain. Uh, and so am I. Yeah. Yeah, I'm the last one paid generally, that's right. so that's how why my subcontractors are late to get paid. Uh, this has been fantastic, and I hope we can do it again at some point. This this information is incredibly valuable. I love the concepts that you're promoting: passive protections and controls over active. You know, good day versus bad day. If I'm having a bad day and I didn't put my equipment on correctly, something bad is going to happen to me. So yep. I, I love that concept. Um, I hope everyone has a great weekend. Thank you for listening. Say thank you to a mother and uh, your mother or some other mother. And uh, we will talk to you next week. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.
Huda Media Production.